0: H.H.W. presents Batman Year One. One shot. By the Legion of Dudes.
1: Down the track came a
2: hobo hiking, and he said,
3: Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of...
2: Dude, dude. Dude, dude. Dude, dude is duder, el duderino. Dude, 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 dude,
3: dude, Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Everybody wants to rule the world.
4: It's the Legion of Dudes podcast.
0: And now, here's the Dudes.
4: He will become the greatest crime fighter the world has ever known. It won't be easy. Welcome to A Half Hour Wasted presents Batman Year One. I'm Adam Umac, alongside my fellow panelists and henchmen, the Legion of Dudes. Guys, introduce yourselves,
3: everyone. Uh, This is Adam Reed, Batfan 1066. This is
1: Johnny M., trying to watch Monday Night Football and not happy.
0: This is Jim Dietz, a.k.a. Yoda Jones, on the forums. And I would also like to add an asterisk
4: and footnote to that last fellow uh, Legionnaire. Uh, Jim Dietz, congratulations, my friend, on winning the 2008 Frickin' Swear Award from the Comic Geek Speak podcast, man. thats uh, I was at the Super Show this past weekend, and I will tell you what, uh, myself, along with uh, all the friends from the forums, we were absolutely beaming, screaming wildly, and cheering for you in the Gypsy Cafe and your family. Um, congratulations,
0: man. It's absolutely a well-deserved award. Very nice. And, uh, parade will be tomorrow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, thank you. I, yeah, I don't know really what to say in this kind of thing other than, uh, I'd like to thank the Academy and (laughs) uh, you like me, you really, really like me.
1: We are now an award-winning podcast.
0: Yes. Award-winning Legion of Dudes.
1: (laughs) Very nice. And we have a special guest with us tonight. One of the only people I have ever met to call Adam Umac a friend. I oh, believe, my. I believe Adam may have incriminating photos of him. We have Dan Ashlin on the phone. How are you, Dan?
2: I'm good. How are you guys? Doing real good. Very Got well.
1: <laughs> so I heard you boys were at the Super Show. What was that like?
2: Oh, that was uh, that was awesome. Had a fun time by all.
1: And um, Adam, you met Dan at Super Show, or you guys are old friends, or how'd that work out?
4: Oh, uh, we used to uh <laughs> we we uh used to pal around back in our uh, college days of yesteryear. Um I met Dan, oh, what is it? Would you say about 5 or 6 years ago by now? And uh I met him at a <laughs> at a Denny's. Uh, you know, imagine that two fat guys meeting over food a ma you know,
1: <laughs> unreal. But, you guys um... got salads, I assume?
4: <laughs> sure. Why don't you talk about all the weird people we saw at Denny's?
2: Oh, well, uh other than the two of us. Uh Yes. <laughs> Oh man! Well, uh, just a rotating cast of characters. Um, the grumbler is probably the most significant of all of them.
4: Now, what were? Now he said some very strange things, if I recall.
2: Yeah, he was this uh, real crazy guy. He would come in, just sit at the bar, and mumble to himself, and come up to you randomly. And uh, one day, he said, "I should be a lawyer for a hot dog." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he uh, he told me that he had to kill all the demons in the town. And melt all the jello down because the Indians needed needed it for medicine. Wow! So yeah, he was uh quite the scholar. There's a, <laughs> there's a certain uh, personality quirk that uh,
4: I guess uh, you have to meet or exceed when you're at Denny's at three o'clock in the morning with a beret and smoking clove cigarettes. I suppose.
1: So rather than alert the authorities, you guys just laughed at him.
4: Well, Dan,
2: <laughs> you he actually he works for the uh, state. So. <laughs> <laughs>
4: He brought us together, uh, but um, there was also, who else was there? There was Queen Buzzo. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do your impression of Queen Buzzo.
2: No, oh, God, I don't think I could do it without laughing. Uh, <laughs> Queen, Queen Buzzo um, was probably this 60-year-old lady with a beehive haircut and a speech impediment that smoked probably like eight packs of cigarettes a day. And would come by, and uh, oh, I don't know if I could do this or not. Uh, <laughs> she would come by with like the vacuum and uh, tell us to lift our legs, but she'd go, you boy need to lift your legs so I can sweep the floor." <laughs> so Dude. we called
4: her, we called her Queen Buzzo. You guys found my mom. <laughs> Did your mom look like a Far Side cartoon character? We'll <laughs> get, we'll get to that after the show. Oh man. <laughs> That was pretty rough, but um, originally, we we started collecting all these crazy stories about um, all these people, and that's kind of where the first inception of the Legion of Dudes actually came from, with a few podcast episodes Dan and I recorded.
2: Yeah, I'll have to dig those out.
4: Uh, no, keep those uh, in the archives, believe me, that's, that's not <laughs> your, worth it. Your job
1: has some kind of policy against that now, doesn't it, Adam?
4: <laughs> well, uh, just about bad podcasting? Probably, <laughs> holy moly. Yeah. Um, uh. So oh, I'll right we,
2: we won't post them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually required by law to inform you of those podcasts. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to our first one-shot episode. Listen in or interact live in this spoiler-filled roundtable discussion and analysis of Frank Miller's classic, Tale. Visit the Half Hour Wasted Forum at comicforums.com, where you can post your thoughts on all aspects of Batman Year One in this sprawling online community of which we are all a part. Send all of your comments via email to comments at legionofdudes.com. Don't forget, please check out Brad and Frank's podcast, A Half Hour Wasted, which is also on this same feed. You can find us through iTunes or go to a halfhourwasted.com. With that, we're going to hand things off to Adam Reed, and he's going to be our moderator for tonight's episode
3: thanks adam and let's uh get right into the book this came out in batman 404 through 407 coming out february through may of 1987 it is written by frank miller illustrated by david mazzuchelli colored by richard richmond lewis and lettered by todd klein this book came out and was uh kind of a reintroduction to the character of batman uh a relook at the beginning, and it came out uh, right after the Crisis on Infinite Earths that had just taken place, when DC was going and doing a lot of reboots of their classic characters. Uh, Just to give a little bit of a quick rundown of which characters they were doing that with, uh, there was the Superman reboot entitled Man of Steel. That was by John Byrne. There was a relaunch of Wonder Woman by George Perez. The Flash was Flash was relaunched with uh, Wally West as the new Flash. Uh, spoilers, Barry Allen had died in uh, Crisis if no one knew that. then Damn it. You know, sorry about that one.
0: <laughs> it's on my uh,
3: file. <laughs> Green Lantern was uh, briefly refocused on the Green Lantern Corps with Hal Jordan kind of taking the leadership role of uh, a younger corps. And the Justice League of America became just called the Justice League at that time and was focused on a more diverse cast of characters, uh, focusing more on the characters from the uh, different universes. With that, Jim – okay, go ahead. Let
1: me me ask you guys this to start off. As someone who doesn't have the long background, and especially DC Comics, what about Batman's origin – was changed I mean, just from reading this book, you know his his parents are killed, and you know was it how he decided to become Batman, or was that never even explored? What exactly did they did they change
3: It was more of a refocusing of the character. Uh, there had been multiple tellings of the origin, and it wasn 't so clear. I think this kind of pulled together and then also kind of brought Batman also back to what he was when the character was uh, originally came up with, with uh, by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, uh, more of a dark character, uh, working in the shadows and things like that. For Frank Miller, DC was so impressed with what he did with uh, Dark Knight Returns that uh, they really wanted to bring that into their, their main Batman storyline.
2: I think this was the first time, too, that you really saw Bruce Wayne more as, um well, sort of like training on the job, really. Every other origin story was more... He kind of comes back from some faraway land, and then he's just Batman all of a sudden. And this was really like you first see him like trying to really gain a sense of who he is and what he needs to do. And he doesn't really—it's you kind of see him as unsure of himself, which was something that really wasn't addressed. Right? Yeah, it's like an unpaid internship.
0: The um, after the crisis on Infinite Earths, so like you were saying, uh, Adam, with all the reboots of the different characters. The one character that really didn't go back and reboot a whole lot was Batman. So this is kind of the reboot story that isn't a reboot story because you're seeing a part of that, the Batman story that you really haven't seen before. Uh, as as uh, Dan was just saying, you know, before every time we'd seen Batman's origin, he you know comes back from training, he has a, on his costume, boom, he's Batman. And this is a part that we've never seen before. This is an unsure Batman. This is a Batman who's still trying to figure out. His, is still trying to get that confidence that we see in the Batman character now.
1: Right. So it's more of a filling in the gaps than a change.
0: Right.
3: Right.
2: And this really isn't even all about Batman. I think that's kind of one of the big misconceptions. I mean, this is really half about Jim Gordon being rebooted as well.
0: That was one of the hugest things about this, um, this story was the way it really focused Jim Gordon as a character made him a much bigger player in the Batman universe than he ever had before this.
1: Interesting. Well, I guess that brings us right into chapter one,
3: who I am, how I come to be. And with that, that's uh, the, the tagline we had from the beginning is where that where we got that is the, the title page for chapter one. The, he will become the greatest crime fire the world has ever known. It won't be easy. That's something that uh, you get at every beginning of the chapters. Really, uh, this issue is the issue where, like was mentioned, they establish uh, Bruce Wayne is coming back to start his crime-fighting career. He's really trying to decide how he wants to go about it. It's very similar to, and I think we'll mention this time and again, what most people see in – Batman Begins, where he's trying to decide how he wants to go about cleaning up Gotham, and it also sheds some light on what caused him to to have uh, these ideas that he wanted to clean up Gotham, and that deals with the murder of his parents by Joe Chill. It lists him at this time, uh, something I noticed, as being seven years old when uh, his parents were killed.
0: The cool thing about the very beginning of this story is that James Gordon and uh, Bruce Wayne are both coming to Gotham. Uh, James... James Gordon for the first time, Bruce for, you know, coming back. They both have the same goal. They both want to clean up Gotham. They both want to you know, change the city for the better. And Gordon's coming in on a train and thinking to himself, man, I wish I was coming in on an airplane. It would look a lot more civilized. And Wayne is coming in on a plane, and he's looking down and saying, I should have come in on a train so I could see the enemy. You know, and uh, he's setting up that great dichotomy that runs through the whole miniseries between the two characters of Jim Gordon and Bruce Wayne. It's a classic play from uh, film noir and uh, the noir novels of the 40s and 50s written by like Jim Thompson or Dashiell Hammett or uh, James M. Kane, the internal monologues of, you know, two characters that are about to uh, come into conflict in some way.
4: Right. I would not even uh, excuse me. I would not even uh, go as far to say complete noir, but I would also say suspense too, because if you look at Alfred Hitchcock's movie uh, *Strangers on a Train*, uh, the the opening sequence is more or less a shot-for-shot shot match of the one before it, and here you're meeting two characters that are more or less on a collision course, mirroring each other absolutely um, to a T.
0: Right, and the one is trying to work within the system, trying to clean things up from within. Inside a totally corrupt. Gotham City Police Department. And the other one is working from without the system by trying to figure out how he's going to go about coercing and scaring criminals.
2: Well, and that theme is mir- through the whole thing. I mean, that's one of the major overtones of the whole book. Is they're kind of mirrored the entire time. I mean, even if you look at the scene right after they get off the plane or the train. They're kind of met with their immediate obstacle, which, uh, you know, Gordon meets with Flass and Bruce is met with the media, which, you know, he has to struggle to keep himself from being discovered, you know, and Gordon has to struggle with kind of getting out of the shadow of all these corrupt cops. So they're both immediately, you know, hit with that sort of pressure.
0: And they're both very flawed characters. They're both very human. I mean, Gordon, as we see later with Sergeant Essen and, uh, you know, he, he wants to do right by his family, but he's not a perfect man. Bruce Wayne at this point, he isn't the untouchable, indes- you know, indestructible Batman that we know in the comics today. He's still a young guy trying to figure it out. So, the, I mean, a lot of the intrigue in the story comes from those uh, characters and the parallels.
3: And with that, uh, Jim Gorin also is coming into uh, to town with kind of a, a reputation. He's, uh, they never quite tell you what happened, but, but it's hinted at very strongly that... Uh, he had a problem in chicago, and he was he was pretty much ran out of town they The commissioner and and some of the higher up detectives see that as kind of a way they can uh keep him under the, their thumb a little bit I noticed the
1: um you know it, it seems to be the trademark of frank miller's Batman just on the opposite end with Dark Knight returns you know Bruce kept repeating in in his head uh i'm old i'm slow, stupid, you know lucky." And the first thing you have Bruce in training, you know, it says February 21st on the top of the page, and Bruce is training in issue one, and it starts off with, I'm not ready. So like Jim was saying, this not perfect character, you know, that seems to be Miller's thing with Batman. You know, he's a regular man. He's not a superhero.
0: I think that really adds to the suspense of the story, too. Uh, Adam, earlier you were talking about suspense aspects of the story, having really humanizing these characters, giving them flaws, making them seem like real people, really humanizes them and adds to the the whole drama. I mean, this isn't the indestructible Batman from the 70s JLA who could pull out any gadget from his pocket and have the solution to the problem. This is a guy in a suit trying to intimidate criminals in a corrupt city.
2: I think, too, this is something that, like, especially modern Batman comics have really lost. You don't see that flawed human being anymore Bruce Wayne is basically non-existent
4: I would also say that if you do see that aspect it's pretty fleeting like I, I think the well aside from RAP, the last uh, big Batman storyline a couple of years ago was Hush and really all that you got out of Hush in my opinion was that at the end once he realized who done it no spoilers this time no I will not ruin the entire book it's early wait for it Wait, okay, no. But you just get it that he understands that he wasn't smart enough. There's not a continual flow. There's no real fluidity. There's there's, there's no uh, extension of his final moment of realization. He's operating in a lot of modern stories. As things come to him, he'll, he deals with them. Or as a plot device, we find out that he's already taken care of them.
2: Yeah, you never have to see Batman really kind of work through anything anymore. He just either... It's just kind of handed to him. But he's a meth addict now and RIP, so, you know, good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. He'll have to work his way up from that. Boiler. We all did.
3: <laughs> also, to point out, uh, a difference I saw from uh, with Jim Gordon is also uh, kind of an introduction to him as a hard-nosed, bare knuckled type cop who he, he's not just – some guy who's uh, you know running things and mean with Batman like you see a lot of times. He, you see him fighting a number of cops. And then there's one point which I always remember. Is
0: I was just going to say uh, totally to what you were saying, your point you were, gonna, you were making, um, he is a hard-nosed cop. He gets his, his, his ass handed to him by a bunch of dirty cops. He okay. waits outside of uh, where they're uh, hanging out, waits for the leader. And then beats him up right. in this issue. Yeah, that's, of, uh,
3: right. that's Flass, who's a recurring character, uh, especially in the Jeff Loeb stuff. Right. And also, he appears in the mm-hmm. movie as well uh, about him Begins. Uh, but what they mentioned that I think is interesting is that uh, he's. They talk about Flask having Green Beret training and how, I think he says, it's been 15 years since I've had to take out a Green Beret. So, you know, he's got military training and uh, he knows how to kick butt.
2: And even beforehand, you see, uh, I guess, when Flask gets out of the car and beats up one of the, just somebody on the street, and uh, you see Gordon kind of memorizing his moves, like he sort of knows ahead of time, like, I'm going to have to take this guy down, I already know it.
1: Is this the Uh, first time that Gordon was also facing a real crooked police force, or was that something that was always in Batman, you know, lore before this, before the mid-80s?
3: I think it was pretty prevalent in uh, the early, the original comics, like back in the uh, late 30s and early 40s. But I think that kind of fell out of favor as time went on, and it went on to like the campier Batman that we saw in the 60s and early 70s. Yeah, remember that
4: a lot of the um, beginning villains, quote-unquote, were, you know, they were mob bosses. They were scientists, like Dr. Hugo Strange, for example. Um, So the stuff that you're going to get from the dailies is, I don't want to say blue-collar crime, but, you know, the gangsters, they're dressed up in a suit, and I think in this one they just happen to have a badge.
0: Right, he's really taking it back to its noir uh, roots, uh, where, where it all began with Bob Kane and the original Detective Comics, with, you know, the Batman being more of a noir character and not being uh, the campy character he became in the 60s and 70s until Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill had, got a hold of him.
3: Now, a page I really want to point out is the uh, page where they show uh, the seven-year-old Bruce with his family, a black-and-white page, or grayscale type page. Yeah. Yes, that's what it is in my book. I didn't know if it would be the same for everybody. This uh, I read that this page, and especially the picture of Bruce sitting around his family, uh, was actually... It, it's been copied, but also it's been directly inputted into a number of stories, like the exact picture. And it's a, a pretty iconic image. And this was, from what I can read, the first time they drew it exactly that way. It's actually, and again, like I said, I mentioned this a couple times. In Batman Begins, it's exact, it's drawn exactly uh, that way. But I think that's a the, pretty famous panel. Right, and the, 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 following
1: following page, the, the following page, you know, it seems like to be a nod to... Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, right? The Raven? How the bat flies
3: on the bus there? Definitely, yeah. That's his introduction to how he's going to bring fear to the character. Now, I don't know, if, don't think in this one it, it talks about how he, how he fell. That's from a different comic.
0: What's, what's uh, interesting about this, too, is this is a scene that we've actually seen before in the origin of Batman. You know, in the original Detective Comics 27, uh, he's looking out the window you know, and he's trying to figure out what will inspire fear and superstitious and cowardly lot, you know, and then a the bat flies. I shall become a bat. And here we see it totally reinterpreted by the beautiful art of David masakelli you know, in a, in a more modern, more noir terms. And he's also, so I mean, he's, he's sitting there. To death. <laughs>
2: yeah, he's, he's sitting there waiting to die, basically. He's just going to let himself bleed out. And then as soon as the bat comes in, he's, you know kind of it's to him it's a it's a figure of hope rather than fear like he wants to use it for yeah that's an interesting
4: kind of take uh the spiritual aspect the the idea of rejuvenation and in some ways you know therapy really (laughs) is what this guy's all about is working out his demons
3: i think he he's a a conflicted person at this point he doesn't know you know what to do He, he he's had no success up to this point and and he's like you're saying, he's at a loss, and it just is a, an epiphany for him of, of where to go. So. This is
1: like that, that Greek mythology hero archetype where there's a death before the rebirth of the hero. And, you know, there it is. He's dead. He's laying there. He's, he's bleeding out. And then the bat comes in, you know, and that's the rebirth. He shall become a bat.
0: Right. So just before, he says <laughs> that if I ring this bell, Alfred will come. He can stop the bleeding in time. Another of your gifts to me, Father. And then the very last panel, after he says, "I oh, shall we become a bat he's figured it out." he picks up the elder ring for out, Al- so he's decided to live. It also introduces Selena Kyle into the early Batman continuity. just so wanted to mention that definitely
4: that's interesting real quick, and I, I was going to pick up this uh as soon as we started too, but i I'll do it now. If you look when Bruce is in the red light district, and I can only compare this to Watchman. Issue two in Rorschach was walking down the street. We just did this last week, guys. They're walking through, and if you he's walking through the red light district, and this is him at the ground floor that he wished he was on when he got to Gotham. And this is the place that needs cleaning up. And Rorschach feels the very same way. But I think it's interesting that for as much as Bruce Wayne is against this kind of red light uh, extreme Uh, decay, if you want to call it that, of society, that Frank Miller, (laughs) I would venture to say, is kind of against it. Because if you look at Miller's work with these kind of, uh, you know, themes in Sin City, for example, I mean, Miller absolutely relishes in this stuff. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know, hyper-noir?
0: Yeah, he's such a fan of the old noir. He's taken it to such an extreme with Sin City.
4: So it's almost like, in some ways... Miller is not conflicting because he's you know he's these Sin City and Batman Year One aren't two you know sequels, but it's interesting that he can take us the same uh, excuse me a different spin on the same note with how a city is and how a city can breathe.
2: Well, really everything that Frank Miller does is just sort of an excuse to do a crime noir story. I mean, even his early Daredevil stuff is really just you know Daredevil's just kind of there as an excuse to be in a book. You know, everything else is really just a pure crime noir story, and he set up, you know, the kingpin and all that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely um, the whole, he uses the internal monologue that he uses in this book, also in Sin City. Um, The whole, I mean, you know, it's very much, uh, you see, like, the genesis of a lot of things you see in Frank Miller from there on in in his work. Okay,
3: we ready to go on to chapter two then? Sure.
4: War
0: is declared. Let's do it.
3: Okay. This one's tagline is: uh, "He has trained and planned and waited 18 years. He thinks he's ready." Again, right with that title, that that jumps into the unsure with the "He thinks he's ready." Uh, right. It's not just ready. It's He
0: thinks he's ready. Yeah. Right.
1: I love the I love the bat suit right on the cover there. You know, it looks just kind of like Long John's. You know, like it's just a regular it's just a regular guy who's putting on a suit. It's not the you know, it's not the flare and shiny. No armor, no special gadgets. It's really a stripped-down version.
2: I think out of every Batman story I've ever read, this is probably my most favorite look for Batman. On just a purely, you know, aesthetic point, I think this is probably my favorite batsuit. <laughs> when
4: did you read this originally, Dan? We were talking earlier, but I don't think I asked you that.
2: I read this. I guess it was in '89 when the Batman movie came out. Um, I was six. I was really like just into Batman but I really hadn't been exposed to it in a so much in a comic book form I had read some of the campy stuff in in the comic books but really my exposure was like reruns of the old tv show and the Batman movie and uh we were at borders and I saw the uh the leather bound complete Frank Miller Batman edition I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with that one yeah sure I've tried uh, to steal it
4: from yourself uh, many times but you always catch me
2: yeah, well, I'll chop your hands off if you do it again. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but uh, my, I begged and pleaded with my mom to get it for me, and uh, she did, because she didn't know. I mean, her exposure to Batman was less than mine, so she kind of thought he was just just a superhero. Nothing can be bad about this, you know? She so I, one
4: you to shut up, man. Pretty much, Yeah.
2: <laughs> Um, so she got it for me and I went home and, you know, at six, I didn't really comprehend what was going on, but my mom read it and took it from me and I thought she had thrown it away. And this is kind of testament to how cool my mom is. Uh, when I was 13, we were flying to Texas and she gave it back. And at that point i had kind of lost interest in comic books and it really kind of reignited it because I read it and really understood it at that point. And then, you know, I read it again a couple of years later, and then again, you know, just recently. And it's sort of kind of been the one comic book that I've read my entire life. So this is really, you know, like the one for me, if I could say this is my absolute favorite book.
4: It's funny that this book is also your year one when it comes to comics, too.
2: Yeah, it really is. I mean, this was my first introduction, and this kind of got me into... Through Frank Miller, I got into Marvel because I s- looked into his Daredevil stuff, and that sort of just opened up the entire comic book universe to me.
4: I love uh, the opening scenes with the, uh, I'm going to say, uh, schizophrenic uh, hostage uh, standoff situation. Uh, the The gunman says uh, complete non-sequiturs, defibrillate, uh, doesn't smell often too many guns. That actually sounds like the Grumbler, Dan. Um. Yeah, actually it does. <laughs> 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 There's a hot dog, and it's—I think it's in handcuffs. It might need a lawyer, uh, but anyway, it's—it's it's really neat that, that Miller does that, and that kind of uh, pro style can really s- uh, slip into any of his books. Whether it's Dark Knight Returns, and Batman has these—you know—asides and uh, to himself, and we see that here in this crazy guy. And I always come back to the idea that Batman's part crazy himself, especially in All Star Batman. But here, this is—you
0: know—this is kind of uh, diet Batman so far. Well, Gordon's pretty crazy too to confront the guy without his gun.
2: Well, yeah, well, I think this is—I mean, this is the first introduction you get to uh, Brandon, the leader of the SWAT team. And at the very beginning of this, uh, the, even the f- the first panel of Gordon stuck in traffic, he's kind of on a humdrum about his day. Nothing's really going on, and then he hears this call that Brandon's coming in, and I mean, he just books it. He almost runs over people, and he knows he's got to get there to stop him before this guy goes in and gets all these people killed. And that sort of comes into play a lot later in the story, I think in Chapter 3 or 4, when uh, the guys are literally, Brandon's literally having bombs dropped on buildings that Batman is in.
0: <laughs> I think that's at the end of this chapter, actually. I think that's the cliffhanger at the end of the chapter.
2: I love the uh,
0: world's yeah. greatest. So, yeah, there it is, the very last page is the bomb being yeah, dropped yeah. On, on, the, on the building.
1: I was I'm just going go ahead. It's okay. I was just going to say I love the world's greatest dad mug. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, in in context of of what's going on with Jim, you know his wife being
3: pregnant and other things that we're going to get to. It's an interesting choice. A few pages later, we have uh, the first uh, scene of Batman in action. I think this. Tell me if I'm wrong, uh, John, but isn't this a, a similar scene like this in All Star Batman when his first night is out? Do um, you remember that? I don't remember it. It's ringing a bell now that you say it. Doesn't, isn't that the one where he laughs at him to try to scare him?
1: Oh, right, right. You are right. It's so, yeah, that crazy, like, almost
3: a Joker laugh. Right. This is still a uh, – he's got his costume now. Now he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I handle these things? And he's obviously very concerned. He doesn't want anyone to really die or anything. He catches the one kid, pulls him up, and basically just scares the crap out of him at the same time. And I can't remember Batman ever being this bad in a fight before. No. No. And, and even nowadays, uh, he definitely wouldn't be either. This is definitely new territory. Right. I think he's – I think it's more – he He obviously knows how to fight because he's been going through the training. I think he's restrained himself. He doesn't know how hard to go is really what it is. I mean, what, what's the appeal of this? That you guys like this so much? Is it because
4: Batman's vulnerable, and now in modern comics that he's so above, above himself almost as an idea?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that you know a lot of a lot of Batman in modern day. I, I bring Superman into it. Superman is the superman, and Batman is the human. And Batman has to look out always and make sure that all these super-powered heroes, you know, don't get too much power because he's representing the humans. And now, you know, we get to see it. If you and I threw on a mask and trained for a while and tried to beat up three guys on a balcony,
4: it would probably... Okay, wait, 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 wait stop like... there. You're the sidekick. <laughs> Keep going.
1: All right, fine. Um, I'm not wearing the Speedo. But, uh, you know, this is probably how it would go we'd probably screw it up, you know, drop the TV, almost get killed, and be thankful that we were still alive. And that's well, what's peeling that this is, this is a human superhero, not a Superman.
2: Well, I think, too, in modern comic books, I mean, Batman's kind of the guy to beat. I mean, he's the only person on the planet that could really feasibly take down Superman if it had to come to it. You know, that's always sort of in the back of every story you know you kind of know like if Superman goes out of con- out of control Batman can go and just shut him down no problem I mean he can do that to anybody but you kind of it's kind of more powerful for Batman's character if you see him in this light where you know that he was never there was never a, there was a point where he wasn't always like that he had to earn it which is really what Batman's all about he thinks you know he's got to better himself for the good of everybody it's not just kind of handed to him
3: He's basically he's worked harder than anyone else. I mean no one else think, has really put themselves out there like that. Now not that there aren't people who, who want it as bad, but it's a lot easier for like like John said, for Superman. He just has to want to do it and he can. He doesn't have to go out and train.
0: That's I think one of the basic appeals of Batman is that he is like the self made hero, you know. He doesn't have superpowers. Everything he did, he did himself. He trained himself to you know, his mind, his body. And I think what this story does, by humanizing him even more, really takes the basic appeal of Batman and amplifies it, you know, by taking it and making it, it's not really realistic, but almost could be, almost like the Batman movies.
4: I was just going to bring up, you know, the the Dark Knight, for example. Everyone um, was enthusiastic about it because... Uh, the movie did a good job of explaining how the technology could work, how this could happen. And I'm looking at the one panel here when they're about to break into the lobes and the Falcones and, you know, he has a grenade, you know, he has a cloth suit on and at this point it's feasible for him. And there's no introduction of a bat cave or uh, a Lucius Fox tech character or, or any mechanical support of any kind. This is still the one, uh, excuse me, this is still the one man army. Um, at this point. There's no support in it. There's no Barbara Gordon. There's no Tim Drake. There's no uh, Dick Grayson. And I don't think there's any explanation required. I think it's assumed that he's capable. And I'm, I just really found that interesting from the, as much feedback as the Dark Knight got that people kept harping. It was great how they explained it. And you know what? I, I think that this uh, you know, uh, three-page sequence really doesn't warrant an explanation. I think that he's got it. And that's all we need to know.
2: Well, you kind of see Batman, I mean, Jim Gordon on the page previous to that little uh, start there, he's sort of, when he's debriefing all the cops on this new Batman character that's in town, you kind of, they explain how he's starting off with low-level criminals and he's working his way up. And he kind of, I think you see Batman sort of discover not just what he needs to do as Batman, but how to literally fight as Batman when when he jumps down on those kids that are stealing the TVs. He screws it up because he knows how to fight. But he doesn't know how to use the Batman character to his advantage yet. He's still discovering what Batman is himself, kind of as we are too, reading the book. And as you move on and it gets more – as more time passes, he starts to l- utilize, like, batarangs, grenades, stuff like that. And he, I think later on you see, like, he's got – he's going through all the things in his mind that he lost when he had to drop his belt in the building. He's like, okay, I don't have this anymore. I don't have this anymore and you see that he's you know from that first point when it was just him in a suit to now he's realizing well i'm you know i'm i've got all this money i can use these things to my advantage rather than you know have to just do it bare knuckles and he's starting to use more theatrics
1: even on page 38 when after he throws the grenade you know and you have that hep splash page now he's using the fear
2: tactic yeah when he comes in and all the only light is from the uh, flambé that they're eating right I would love to have that page. That would be great. <laughs> I thought
1: you were going to say you'd love to have a flambé.
2: I would love one of those, too. But <laughs>
4: let's go to Denny's.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're well-known for their flambé. <laughs> the, the one thing I wanted to mention about issue two before we went on to the, uh, him making his way out of the building, the thing that gets Batman in trouble in this issue is that he tries to save someone. There's a great scene where Gordon and him are both trying to save the same woman. The truck is about to run over the uh, the woman with the shopping cart. Gordon hey. jumps out of his car, tries to get to the driver of the truck. At the same time, Batman is grabbing the bag lady and pushing her out of the way. And if Batman hadn't stopped to save the bag lady from the truck, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have gotten cornered in the building. So
4: Miller does Gordon,
0: a- now. Gordon realizes, oh, he's he's not he's not a crook. He's here to you know he's, he's he has heroic intentions.
4: Miller flips this around, too, in uh, uh, Dark Knight Returns, because, remember, Batman dresses up as a bag woman. Right. right.
2: I think this, I think too, this- you, you sort of start, you see Batman, um, I think he mentions, you know, they think I attack those cops. And it's sort of a reversal at that point. Gordon finally realizes, wait, Batman's actually trying to do good. And Bruce Wayne realizes in some sort of way, and maybe this is just me, and kind of knowing where, you know, the history of Batman and where it's gone up to this point, Batman sort of realizes, you know, maybe this is hopeless, maybe I don't know, maybe I can't save everybody because no matter what I do, they'll always think of me as a villain.
3: We also on uh, page 40 have uh, the introduction of Harvey Dent into uh, the, this lore of Batman, and they show that uh, him and Batman actually have been uh, working together a little bit. And they also kind of uh, allude that Gordon thinks that Dent might actually be Batman, which is something that uh, is also uh, mentioned in The Long Halloween. So that's... Uh, and
0: in the Dark Knight movie where Dent says but, that he's Batman.
3: Right, exactly. Yeah. Cool. That's
4: funny, though, because I think that's also a truism in life that, you know, good people seek out good people. And, you know, likewise, you know, the, the riffraff that, uh, you know, Gordon and, and, and such had mentioned earlier, They they you know, form their own community themselves.
0: Yeah, this is definitely when the light goes on for Gordon that, hey, he tried to save that old lady. He hadn't attacked anybody. He even tries to call uh, off the airstrike before it happens.
2: This is really the first time, too, you see Gordon starting to think that Bruce Wayne is Batman, which is something that I think Frank Miller kind of really did well in this. By the end of it, you kind of know that Gordon knows who Batman is but he realizes the importance of it. And it's sort of, I think, a lot of people took out of the Dark Knight movie that was sort of referenced in there that, you know, Jim Gordon is too good of a cop to not figure it out.
0: Well, there's a great scene at the very end of this miniseries, actually. Uh, We'll get to in issue four where he kind of has the whole willful blindness thing.
2: Yeah, where he says, you know, the mud gets in my eyes. I can't really see see The cops are coming. You better get out of here. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what I was talking about.
3: So let's go ahead and start with chapter three, entitled Black Dawn. Uh, the tagline for this one is, they've got them cornered, they've got them outnumbered, they've got them trapped, they're in trouble. So I think that, again, uh, these taglines, I think, are really leaning into what the story's going to, where it's going to go. It's showing a little bit more confidence on Batman's part with uh, they're, they're in trouble. Just as kind of like a continuation of the bomb blowing up in the, End of the last issue and, and Batman Escaping is how we kind of begin and jump into this issue. And then we go on to uh, a more showing some more scenes of Selina Kyle uh, surrounded by cats. What do you guys make of, this is going to come off really
1: weird, shocker. What do you guys make of Selina Kyle's haircut? You know, I've never seen her drawn that way. It's almost like a paradox, like she's supposed to be you know this this sensual character always that's what we get from Selena how sexy she is and seductive and she's got this man's haircut
2: yeah well in the beginning i think um when you first see her she's kind of dressed up like a dominatrix like she's got like a little like riding crop and the guy's kind of like half whimpering to him like she's in like he's in pain so i think he kind of like this is kind of a more rough and tumble selena kyle right but, uh, sure but this was one of the um, origin stories that I guess was wiped out. They sort of re... They did Catwoman year one, I think, and it, it just kind of destroyed everything Miller did. Really, Batman was the only one that was... Um, whose origin was kind of kept through the whole thing.
1: Well, didn't the When in Rome story come right out of this? Or am I getting... Conf- no, that's out of um, Long Halloween, right, Adam?
0: Yeah. Right, but that but that spun out of this. The Long Halloween and Dark Victory came right out of this. Right. To- 'Cause they have a lot of the same characters.
3: And then uh as far as the Long Halloween, uh, and the difference between Selena Kyle's a pretty major character in the Long Halloween. And uh it's a definite departure from what we do see here, uh, to your point, John. Yeah, I've never seen her character or anything like this. I think he was trying to take it in a different direction and it just didn't uh just didn't take.
2: I kind of actually like this Selena a little bit better though. I mean that's probably just because I love this book so much, but I don't know, it it seems a little bit more Seems kind of a little bit more plausible to me.
0: So you don't? It certainly explains where the whip came from.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) So so you don't uh, dig the hot uh, skin tight suit Selena Kyle from uh, Long
2: Halloween? Well, I mean, you know, skin tight suits are always good, but uh, (laughs) I just this origin I think makes a little bit more sense.
3: It sticks to the uh, the the realism feel, and and she's um she's an on the streets kind of person, and, and it really her character is really portrayed that way, as opposed to really to more of the um, jewel thief. I just like the idea that uh, Christopher Walken pushed her out a window in the movies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's probably my least favorite Catwoman origin, where she's brought back to life by cat bites. So. <laughs> when, when they did that, mm. Yeah, didn't that happen the same way? Wasn't
4: it the same origin? And I never saw it. Never
3: sure saw you either. didn't. Sure, yeah.
2: <laughs> he's got he's got seven copies of the Catwoman DVD, so they don't wear out. Right next to RoboCop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Again okay. with the RoboCop. <laughs>
1: I love the um, I love the tricks that Batman has in his boot. Again, yeah, something that, I've never seen out of him. I don't have huge background before this book like some of you guys do, but I've never seen that trick.
3: Yeah, it's definitely something that Christopher Nolan must have liked a lot too, since he uh, incorporate that pre- that scene pretty directly into Batman Begins as well. So. Yeah,
2: it's even in the same place on the boot. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, I think it's a cool gadget that that's. Very workable.
1: And we see, um, starting on page 60, probably the fourth and fifth time that Batman gets shot in this book. You know, again, that's just something that you don't see usually. He's always dodging and rolling and missing fire, and he gets nicked think, up quite a bit.
3: I think that's very Frank Miller that, I mean, they're not, he doesn't have the armor on. He's He does get hit, he does get hurt. It's different than really how DC portrays... It's heroes in general. They get shot at, but it bounces off all of them. Uh, But you see him run around with his legs wrapped up in that scene on the top of 60. I mean, he can be hurt. It's uh, quite the learning curve
4: for these four issues that he goes on. And um, if you go on in a trade to 62, uh, Gordon starts narrating again. It says the cheering disintegrates and the screaming starts again. And, you know, the bats are up against the sun, and if you look at it, that's just like the bat, the classic, I guess, Batman logo with the yellow circle with the bat emblem in the su- in, in the in the middle of the yellow. So this is the black Dung where the bats more or less invade, um, you know, this part of downtown Gotham, and the police are caught not only unaware but completely off guard.
2: I love it's. It's not really like any sort of like in depth meaning, but. Two of my favorite scenes are in this. I love when he uh, grabs the guy and he says, you're the one who tried to shoot the cat. Then he throws the guy through a brick wall in front of the cops, <laughs> which I think is, I, it, it doesn't really mean anything. I just love that part. So. He used to work for the <laughs>
0: ASPCA back in high school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another important plot point we see happen in this issue is the uh, development of the relationship between uh, Gordon and Sergeant Essen. Which uh, Commissioner Loeb uses leverage later on in the story.
2: This is kind of a, um, there's a panel here on, uh, I guess, 67 that's kind of a, it's a nod to Edward Hopper's uh, Nighthawk when they're all sitting sitting in the Hopper Bar, which is another, you know, noir thing that Miller throws in all over the place.
0: Plus all this stuff where he's talking about her, you know. Turns out her first name is Sarah, you know. Whoever told her she was masculine must have been blind, deaf, and dead, you know. It's very much the Miller, the whole total Miller uh, noir riff.
2: Everybody smokes a lot, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: think there's been a page without a cigarette in it. And like, <laughs>
0: This is also the first issue we see Selina don the uh, Catwoman outfit and go out on the town.
3: Chapter four is a uh, friend in need. Tagline, he's out to clean up the state that likes being dirty. He can't do it alone. Definitely a... Uh, an issue that's gonna kinda bring Gordon and and uh Batman together. Starts out again with with uh Jim and Sarah Essen and uh builds on on uh all the things that Jim Jim's going uh through as far as is he gonna cheat on her his wife's pregnant. Uh so I I think it just builds that he's a tragic character. He he's human. Uh he's trying to do the right thing.
0: Right, he's flawed. He's he's not like the, the shining hero cop that the press makes him out to be. He's a you know a, a real person with real flaws and real problems.
1: Here you see um, another trademark of Miller. You know those those TV boxes. You know Miller loves to oh, have yeah. little boxes shaped like TV screens and catching uh, you know a news a news show. He likes to give the uh, the media's response to what's going on.
0: It's a good device to get a cross exposition and move move the plot along, you know so we can you can uh, nicely put in a little caption box what has happened, what is about to happen, and that's a nice excuse for it because it's a television show. They do the same thing in, um in TV shows and uh and movies too, so almost invariably if someone turns on the TV or the radio in, a, in an older movie, uh, whatever is on television will be exactly about them you know right. Gilgan's Island is a good example you know right. every time they turn the radio on you know. Famous surfer, lost at sea.
2: (laughs) Even seven years later, when the public would have lost interest by then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: I think this one, too, uh, you kind of see, again, he's sort of reiterating the fact that Batman, um, you know, still hasn't gotten his gear in place yet because he's climbing up the wall of the skyscraper just with his, like, fingers in the cracks between the bricks. And you see him really kind of struggling to get up, to break into this guy's apartment. I think that's one of the cool things about this book, that you sort of it's not even you You see the behind the scenes of how Batman gets to sort of the showy aspect where in modern comic books, he just sort of, you know, he bursts through a ceiling and, you know, there's glass everywhere and it's really menacing. And this, you kind of have to see him like, well, he's got to get up the side of the building first and he's got to crawl across the roof without being noticed. And
4: anything you know. could go wrong, you know? Yeah.
1: How about that panel on 77 with, uh, Skeever's on the floor, the the broken glass underneath him from Batman crashing in, which they don't show us. She's knocking on the door, saying, "Skeever's, are you all right? I'm fine." <laughs> <laughs> his eyes are just the eyes are perfect, and the look, the the little smile on Batman's face with his hand around his throat, perfect.
4: Uh, Tim Sale Some... took that panel, and that was also when Eddie Skeever's was um, <laughs> jacked by Batman in Dark Victory too.
2: Something kind of tells me Frank Miller edited the drawing on that page a little bit because that face is, like, all his style.
1: Yeah, looks like it belongs in Sin City, right? Yeah. Then we have Gordon getting blackmailed, finally, by the commissioner on 79.
4: Such a fan of uh, popular culture, and I I think that uh, Loeb, in this case, is is such a fair-weather friend. he's, he's, He's a trend himself. I mean, he collects this kitsch, This uh, this campy things like uh, what looks to be you know like a like a Mickey Mouse even though that's not under the licensed agreements Um, you know he's got toy cannons it's it's all toys it's all a joke Snoopy Um, lamp but exactly he's such a a product of prevailing winds and he'll turn on that and then you have the image of the clown which is creepy to have in anyone's office. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know the clown smiling, the cop smiling, and then Loeb smiling. And I, I, Loeb isn't a police commissioner. He's the mob boss from the Dailies back in the 40s and 50s. You know, he, he's not a police commissioner. He's never in uniform. He's outlandish, and he's he's a criminal.
0: Well, he's, he's got romantic. a John Wayne this Gacy a painting. Kingpin too. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. I was just
2: commenting about John Wayne Gacy. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i was just gonna say it's very reminiscent of Miller's Kingpin too. He doesn't go out and get his own hands dirty. He has people for that. He always has uh, he always has the upper hand, even with even with a, a good cop like Jim Gordon, he's able to find some way to get him under his thumb.
3: And then uh, we have the next page where uh, Gordon shows up uh, to meet with Bruce Wayne, and Bruce is doing his best Playboy image kind of act, has a. Uh, his love interest at the time, I guess, or paid love interest, I guess. Uh, bottle of wine, I'm sure it's probably apple juice or something like that. But <laughs>
0: Yeah, he says it's club soda later on. I gather the remaining bottle of club soda maybe left in its proper container. This is also when Gordon uh, tells his wife about the affair, too. We don't see it on, uh, on camera, but he says, Honey, there's something we have to talk about, and you know what he's going to tell her.
2: Right. Is this the first we see of Alfred? He's in one panel in the very first issue when Bruce gets out of the car and that's it. I think this, too, is something they kind of stole, well, borrowed, I guess, for Batman Begins. You sort of see Alfred disappointed in how he acts as Bruce Wayne. And he, you know, kind of when he, like, humps as he closes the door on him, you see him as kind of, he's playing the playboy a little bit too well for Alfred's taste, I think.
3: I think it's interesting to point out in that same panel, it does say, I special take up flying next, like that fellow Metropolis. So that's just a, a nod that Superman is already out there doing his thing at mm-hmm. this point in continuity. The next big splash page we have, interesting enough, we do have Batman uh, flying. Uh, so kind of a play on, I guess, uh, what Alfred said a few pages earlier. Actually, every time I see that movie, I, I think of uh, I think of Batman Returns just because uh, he's got that same kind of uh, contraption, I think, in that movie, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, the the big
2: giant, like, mechanical cape. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's really Kite Man in the background.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Roman has his uh, little palatial palace set on the penthouse of a giant of a a skyscraper to look like uh, an old uh, Roman uh, uh, bathhouse. So the only way Batman can get in is by getting a giant hang glider and flying in. Such Another a, thing uh, that Christopher Nolan used, I mean, this is also in The Dark Knight. You know?
3: Now, um, we haven't really talked a lot about the character of Roman. Does anyone know if if that was a pre-existing character? Uh, I'm not aware of it, but uh, no, it could have uh,
4: been. These were uh, Frank Miller's uh, you know, B and C tier uh, supporting cast for this. And on 85, you, you get a look of... Carmine Falcone, the Roman, you get a look at uh, his nephew, Johnny Vitti, too. And I think it's interesting that Loeb drew so much from this book when he crafted The Long Halloween. Falcone, Johnny Vitti, Batman, Gordon's history um, with the Gotham City Police Department really transferred uh, to The Long Halloween from year one. Later, uh, later in Dark Victory, Jeff used the supporting cast, and kind of he kind of went back to the well of year one. To load up uh, the police force with the hangman killings with Flass, Loeb, uh, Brandon, Pratt, Merkel, and also Skeivers.
2: almost It almost seems like there should be some run out there by some other uh, writer to go between this and Dark Victory, and they would just sort of lead smoothly into one another, and it'd just be this big, massive story.
0: Okay, I was just going to say, the funny thing is, a few months after Batman, when Year One came out uh, in Batman comics, they had, uh, in Detective Comics... Uh, Batman Year Two, which was written by Chuck Dixon, uh, but was drawn by young Todd McFarlane.
3: It's actually a pretty good book, too. It's uh, it's not in continuity at this time that they have taken that out. That series, I believe, is it Legends of the Dark Knight? Is that the series, or it just ended recently? That was supposed mm-hmm. to all take place during Year One, and now they've moved on to the Batman Confidential series that's supposed to take place uh, during year one, so year two came out before Long Halloween and Dark Victory,
4: or well at, yes. before, well
0: before well, it, right? Yeah, because maybe six months after year one came out.
4: Yeah, Long Halloween was '96.
0: Gotcha. But it was one of Todd McFarlane's first, uh, first time. I was the first time I ever saw him draw anything, and uh, so the storyline is very reminiscent of the uh Batman uh, Mask of the Phantasm uh animated uh, movie. Actually, it has a lot of similarities.
1: So right after year 1 they tried to go with year 2 but then Long Halloween ended up going back to the continuity of year 1. Correct. Right. It's yep. pretty interesting when you think about it that they, you know, they tried a year 2 but they ended up going back to 1 after all those years, which is kind of a testament of how good it is.
4: And it's weird because with DC continuity, uh even though the Long Halloween and Dark Victory are more or less elseworld uh titles, um, it's never really, uh, I guess, officially accepted as DC continuity. Although, in one of the issues, um, uh, the Christmas issue of A Long Halloween, the Joker breaks into Harvey's uh, Harvey Dent's house, and when uh, they're fighting later, and, and they reference each other, you know, um, in the Hush storyline that Jeff Loeb wrote, you know, they they reference that confrontation.
1: I think there's another Elseworlds world story. Um, I think it's called The Darkest Night, Adam, you would probably know, where they have the exact same scene from this year one with Batman sitting, um, you know, bleeding out, and instead of the bat crashing through the window, uh, like a dying green lantern crashes through the window. So they kind of recognize this continuity in that
4: elseworld story as well. That's pretty crazy. If you look at um, 86, and I just picked this up right now, we're on the top of the Roman's penthouse. Uh, that looks exactly like uh, the Romans, uh, th- their families, uh, um, th- their their tomb in one of the Gotham graveyards too, from Dark Victory.
3: So, and then uh, what happens is they get back at Gordon. The the mob steals Gordon's or kidnaps Gordon's newborn child, and he goes after after them on a motorcycle and. Followed uh, right behind by Bruce Wayne on a, on a bicycle, it looks like. And what ends up happening is that...
0: Well, Bruce Wayne has been watching the whole thing go down. Right. Uh, he's been trying to protect Gordon this whole time. And there's this great scene where uh, Gordon takes his motorcycle, Wayne grabs a bike and looks and says, Mrs. Gordon. Trust me, I won't let your boy die. And that hesitation <laughs> allows Batman to get on the bike and follow Jim Gordon to the bridge where the final confrontation is
3: once at the bridge gordon gets uh attacked and ends up the baby ends up dropping off the bridge with bruce wayne it's it's important to point out this part that it, it is bruce wayne it's it's not a batman in costume but bruce wayne dives off the bridge and gets uh and gets the baby before it hits the water and ends up uh saving the baby's life and hands it over to gordon and I think there's kind of that, that, knowing, that knowing look that uh, that's a point where you can pretty much safely say that Gordon knows who, he, who Batman is at that point. We end up with probably there's my favorite
0: line that we referenced, referenced before, too, where um, Bruce Wayne's standing in front of Gordon. Gordon's holding his, his muddy baby, and he says, you know, I'm practically blind without my glasses.
3: Right. The sirens right.
0: are coming. You'd better go. So that tells us Gordon knows that this guy standing in front of him is Batman. And he's kind of turning a blind eye to the fact that it's Bruce Wayne because they're fighting the same fight and he just saved his son's life, you know.
2: And at the last, I mean, the very last panel, it's the first time you really see Gordon smile, you know, after he knows that he kind of understands what Batman's doing now and that things are going to be okay.
0: He refers to him as a friend.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: This is uh this has uh always been my favorite part of this book. Gordon staying at the end, and kind of summing up what's going on and, and uh, where it's going to lead. And I was so happy to see that uh, on the big screen at the end of Batman Begins. Uh, we even get the uh, the line. As for me, well, there's a real panic on somebody's threat and someone's threatened to poison the Gotham Reservoir. Calls himself the Joker. I've got a friend coming who might be able to help. She'll be here any minute. So it's, a, it's definitely a pretty powerful jumping point for the series, if you think of it as that, and where they're heading. Uh, and that wraps up the end of, of that chapter. Does anyone have any comments on that?
0: Well, just like you were saying about the end of that chapter, there are so many uh, uh, things that Christopher Nolan borrows from in this book. I mean the whole concept of Batman just starting out, the relationship between him and Gordon, the use of the sonics to attract bats, it just goes on and on. It's pretty obvious that when Nolan went and his brother went to write the script for their Batman movie that they, they, they used one of their source materials. Right, uh, David Goyer too. David it's, Goyer, I'm sorry. It,
1: it's funny that Frank Miller did write a script for this, you know, he, he wrote a Batman Year One script which is actually leaked online. If anybody Googles uh, year one script, you'll find it pretty easily. And um, it's funny that they didn't think that was the way to go, you know, in the movies. And then when they ended up rebooting Batman with Begins and Dark Knight, they borrowed so much from it. Um, You wonder where their heads were at the time that he wrote the script the first time. You know, they were probably working on um, Batman and Robin with plastic nipples and things like that.
2: Yeah, I think they had originally, Joel Schumacher wanted to do Batman Year One to make up for Batman and Robin.
4: Oh, no. No take backs. Sorry, Joel. <laughs> Yeah, he, he
2: does uh, <laughs> That man deserves a fate worse than death. Uh, <laughs> Watch his own movies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, the fate we all got.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's going to take a lot more than a movie. Yeah. <laughs> also, if
1: you go to YouTube and you search Batman Year One trailer... Or the Dark Knight Returns trailer, you'll find these crazy fan uh, movies where people have cut different parts out of the different movies to make trailers for year one and for Dark Knight Returns.
0: This huh. is also influential in several ways to the Batman animated series, uh, very much taking it back to its noir roots, a darker Batman, a more realistic Batman, um, you know, taking it back to the beginning of the Batman saga that really, very much comes from the year one. Uh, approach.
3: You have the, the focus on uh, some of the corrupt cops and uh, and definitely a focus on the gangsters in, in that series as well. With, uh, I think in the series, uh, Roman's character is, is named Rupert Thorne. I think they, they're they kind of the same character. They s- switched the name on that.
2: And it all ends, I don't know if it ends this way in the book or not. I can't remember the, uh, the issues or not, but I know all the hardcovers have that great splash page. With a uh, Batman sort of jumping out of the bat signal, which is like probably for me the most like iconic image of Batman. That's
3: definitely that's a classic image.
4: Yeah, it's it's interesting too what uh, DC's tr- uh, has tried to do to kind of uh, recapture the magic for the Year One idea as its own line. I mean, they've had Batgirl Year One, Green Arrow Year One, The Huntress Year One, JLA, JLA Meta-
0: Year One,
4: Metamorpho that Mike Norton worked on, Nightwing. Robin Teen Titans Two Face Year One uh, Batman Ra's Al Year One, <laughs> Batman well, Scarecrow had... Year One. You know, I, I don't know. You, you don't want to mess
3: with the original.
2: Yeah. Pa- well, pass on the had... Batman
3: Ra's Al Ghul. That one's terrible.
2: <laughs> they even had a uh, Catwoman Year One, which sort of erased the origin of Catwoman and Batman Year One. It, uh, I think it, it it made her out to be like she was like a, a cop posing as a prostitute in huh. Year One or something. I can't no, quite remember.
3: If they would have, stuffed,
4: I don't understand how it's year one. It's like you know, Batman's what now? Two thousand and seven years old. I mean, that's pretty old, man. That's, yeah. That's not right.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> if they could stick with the formula that worked, which was you know, an, a, a retelling that just filled in the gaps rather than trying to you know recreate the whole origin
3: of classic heroes, they probably would have been better off. Some of them aren't too bad. Nightwing's isn't too bad. I like Green Arrow's. Um, JLA's isn't too bad. I was say some, JLA. Of them,
4: well, some of them aren't too good either. The, uh, Two-Face right. one is pretty rough.
3: That's, that's new, isn't it? That just came out then. It? Yep. Well, I'll skip that then. Thanks. <laughs>
4: There's a bunch of, uh, different kinds of collections that this been, has been, had. Dan, you mentioned that you have the Leatherbound Edition, the Issues, um, I have the, uh, Deluxe Anniversary Edition, which just is really another cover of the orange one with a few bonuses. Are there any other ones that you guys can think of that have come out?
0: The one I've got is fairly new. It has uh, a, sp- a thing in here drawn by David Mazzucchelli about his own uh, experience with Batman growing up.
4: You know, that's really similar um, to the one that when they re- released uh, Batman: The Killing Joke, uh, Brian did. Excuse me, Brian Boland did a similar uh, kind of uh, story. Uh, in the back of the Killing Joke, it was called uh, "Innocent Guy," and uh, that was, I, I think they, again, tried to do the same thing with Boland that they did with Masaccio.
2: I really wish they had included this in the uh, the Absolute Edition rather than DKR two. That because I mean, you... they, well, they had they have the Dark Knight Returns, right, and then the Dark Knight, I guess, it's the Dark Knight Strikes Back, right, which is as far as frank miller's concerned probably the worst thing he's ever done <laughs> 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 and i wish you, since this is such a monumental story i mean if anything deserves an absolute as far as a frank miller batman's concerned this does and i i'm, I'm just kind of perplexed by why they never they didn't include that in the absolute and did what is kind of generally known as like really horrible this this yeah. is so
4: skinny though it, it's so skinny for an absolute. I mean, even League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Black Dossier that just came out, while not remarkably you know great, but at the same time you know that's a, just a small trade. This is four issues. Yeah, you know. Well, um, I mean,
2: I mean rather than have Dark Knight and Dark Knight Strikes Back, have I would just Year think, One and Dark Knight Returns. Don't you just
4: think that's a publishing decision though? Because then they'd have to split up the. Um, revenues and stuff, how many more ways instead of just between Frank and Lynn Varley? That's true.
0: The thing that always surprised me most about Batman Year One and Daredevil board Again is that David Mazzucchelli wasn't, like, a huge superstar afterwards. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, he's never really gained as much critical acclaim that he should have. I mean, to be honest, this was like... The artwork in this is fantastic, and it's fantastic in Daredevil as well. I don't know why the guy's not really... Doesn't
3: that seem to be the way that it goes with people who work with Frank Miller, though? Because, I I mean, you know their name because they've done things with Frank Miller, but do you really see him a lot on anything else? I mean, maybe I just don't read as much, but... Yeah, well, Klaus Janssen's kind of the same
0: way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Who? Jeff Darrow.
3: Anything else on uh, that, guys?
0: I think that about wraps it up, unless you have anything, uh, Adam. Or Adam? Well, um... No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's do the wrap-up then and wrap this up. Let's my, do it. my wife wants to go home.
3: <laughs> okay, well, um, first off, I wanted to give a, a shout-out to Ken Russell, who couldn't be here uh, with us tonight. Look forward to seeing you all again uh, at our next Watchmen episode. I'd also like to thank Dan for coming out and uh, and muddling through this with us and uh, seeing behind the curtain a little bit. Of how it all works, and now uh, so, Dan,
1: you don't have to pretend that you Max your friend.
2: Yeah, I've got you guys now, so <laughs> yeah, we'll be your friend. No, thanks Goodbye. for having me on. It was great. <laughs> Goodbye. See ya. Uh,
4: enjoy. Enjoy. I I hope I, <laughs> you've eaten well. Goodbye. <laughs>
3: all right. Wow, he he really did uh he really did leave. <laughs> okay, well wow. on that note, if you want to get a hold of us, we can be reached either by email at comments at legionofdudes dot com. Any comments are Greatly appreciate They can only help make us better. And then also we uh, are very active, uh, all of us on the forums uh, under the Half Hour Wasted forums at thecomicforums.com. So uh, I'm sure we'll put up a thread for uh, anyone who wants to comment. And I just want to invite you to uh, join our ongoing discussion of The Watchmen uh, we will be going on to issue three, and that should be coming out about a week to two weeks after this episode is released. So uh, thanks again, guys, and good night. Good night. Take care. Good
0: night.